dear congregation, as we come to, to the last few hours of this year, very soon the year will be closed. The door, as it were, of 2022 will forever be shut. And as we reflect on that reality, another reality, a very weighty one, meets us from out of the scriptures, and that is of that day and that hour when the whole of history will be over and when the door of time will forever be shut. And looking to the Holy Spirit to bless His Word, we turn then to the words of Christ as they come to us in this parable of the wise and foolish virgins. And I will read at this time verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Our theme looking to the Lord is the words, those last words of this verse. And the door was shut. We'll see three points this evening. The first is that the coming of Christ surprises everyone. The coming of Christ surprises everyone. Secondly, the coming of Christ reveals a dreadful lack. The coming of Christ reveals a dreadful lack. And thirdly and finally, the coming of Christ seals some in and others out. The coming of Christ seals some in and others out. Well, congregation, Matthew 25 is and contains some of the last words that the Lord Jesus spoke while he was on the earth. The time of his crucifixion and death was quickly approaching. What sorts of things should he say in those very last moments of his earthly ministry? before his death on the cross. Well, chapter 25 of Matthew is all about the second coming of Christ. It's on his mind. It's in his heart. That day is coming. It's coming soon. And he wants his disciples and his church of all times and places and all the world to know history will have an end. When Christ returns, he will do so as the bridegroom of his church. He is, as I just said, preparing for his death on the cross, and there he will purchase with his own blood his bride. And he has his mind and heart set on that wedding supper of the Lamb that will take place at the end of history. And he wants his disciples and his people to prepare for that, to watch for that. And he makes very clear in this chapter multiple times, of this day knows no one. Almost two millennia have passed since the Lord spoke these words. And many people scoff at the idea of Christ returning with the clouds all of a sudden. But those who scoff, they should know that their scoffing fulfills prophecy. The Lord knew that there would be scoffers. You can read of this in 2 Peter 3 verse 4. There will be scoffers who say, where is his coming? So those who say that or think that even now, they are fulfilling the very word of God, which prophesies that Christ will return. The Lord delays because he is a merciful God. He is a long-suffering God. 
And all the elect must be brought in. All the purposes of God must be accomplished in our world. Every soul for which Christ has died must and will be brought in. And yet what need we have to be urged to watch. Six times in Matthew 24 through 26, six times the Lord urges his disciples to watch. Watch and pray. And in verse 13 of our passage, he says it very clearly. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. Do you know what it means to watch? Practically speaking, what does it mean to watch for Christ's coming? Well, in the biblical teaching, to watch means to have a gracious vigilance or watchfulness to what really matters. Children, to illustrate it like this, let's say you were in one of those old cities that would have walls, and you would have watchmen on the walls that would look during the day, but also by night. Because they were set there to guard the city. And if some enemy approached, some army, or even some robber or thief approached the city, it was their responsibility to be on the lookout, day and night, to make sure the gates were closed, and that if there was an enemy approaching, that they would sound the alarm. Watch, watch. Watch. What would you say if you went into one of these stores where they have security and slumped over there in the corner as you enter the store, there's a security guard and he's sleeping. What would you think of that? That man should be fired, shouldn't he? He's not doing his job. He's supposed to watch. He's supposed to keep his eye on what's happening. Well, that's but a small thing compared to what the Lord would have his people do. And that is every day, looking, watching, keeping this gracious, holy vigilance of ourselves and our own lives against sin, against bitterness, unbelief, coldness, people of God. And in the sphere over which we've been placed, whether this is as elder or deacon or as fathers, Mothers in the home, whatever it is, to have a watchful spirit. Watch against enemies. Watch whether we're ready for the coming again of Christ. And in order to press this great need that we all have to live a watchful life, the Lord tells this vivid and graphic parable of this wedding. Who does not love a wedding? A wedding is a joyful occasion. But back in the Lord Jesus' day, weddings could be much longer than we know them today. In fact, most weddings would take about two weeks to unfold. And the starting time of the wedding would be unpredictable. The father of the bridegroom who was in charge of the timetable, he would be the one who would call the wedding uh, guests, have them invited, have all the preparations made. And then the guests would be sent a second invitation and told that everything was ready. And the bridal attendants, what we would call the bridal party, they would wait outside of the bride's home for the moment at which the bridegroom would come to fetch his bride at her father's home and take this bride to his father's house. And then the celebration would begin. And attendants would have oil lamps because... During the night, 
It would be up to them to shine light around the bride and the bridegroom in the dusk or the darkness of the evening hours. And in this parable, there are ten such virgins or bridal attendants. And they're all waiting. And again, in these ancient days, you didn't have an exact time that you were told. Word of mouth, it could suddenly happen. You knew it was soon, but it could be a few hours, it could be a few days, depending on whether they could get all the things that they needed. And here they are. And I want us to notice something. On the outside, all these attendants look the same. It's not as if five of them have a sign over their heads that says, these are the foolish ones, and these are the, or these are the wise ones. They're intermixed, and from the outside, everything looks pretty much the same. It's not so that five of them are dressed very shabbily and very inadequately and very deficiently, and five of them look good. No, they all look like bridal attendants. And they all, congregation, they have an oil vessel, an oil lamp, a little clay vessel in which you placed oil. And um, they had all of that. And they all had oil. We know that because the five foolish complain at the end that their lamps have gone out, which means at one time they were on. We'll talk about what the difference is in a moment. But for all that the eye can see, the physical eye, these bridal attendants are all the same. They're all waiting. And congregation, let us take this to heart. They are all sleeping. What a convicting thing this is to read. That also the wise virgins were asleep. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Robert Murray McChain in a sermon on this text says, I have no doubt but that before Christ comes, all the Christian churches will fall into a deep slumber. Are you asleep? Ask yourself that. What is a sleeping Christian? Well, a sleeping Christian is a backslidden Christian. Someone who is not fervent in prayer. Is not bothered by the fact that Christ is far away from his or her life. A sleeping Christian is settled on his lees. Is lazy regarding sanctification is comfortable in the world in which we live. The Lord must say to his disciples in the next chapter, Peter and the others, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And dear believers, we have to contend with that flesh, don't we? That old eye, that old nature which cleaves to us, which often, always really strives to gain the upper hand. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. The Bible makes very clear Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, 
and Christ shall give thee light. What need we have of watchfulness in our souls, also against this sleepiness. You remember in Pilgrim's Progress that Christian too fell asleep and he lost his assurance, that scroll on that occasion. He left it behind and he had to go all the way back in order to retrieve it. Are we sensitive to when spiritual sleep comes over our minds and hearts? Are we aware of those first motions of backsliding in our hearts? Or are we fast asleep before we even realize it? What need we have also to encourage one another, dear believers. When I'm sleeping, you come to me, you shake me awake, and I you, and you each other. Robert Murray McChain once asked a group of his students, his seminary students, Do you think that Christ could come today? It was five or six students or so, and they thought about it for a while, and each of them shook their head and said, I don't think he would come today. And Robert Murray McChain looked at them and said, Be ye therefore ready also. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Congregation, Christ's coming surprises everyone. But secondly, and more to the point of the parable, Christ's coming reveals a dreadful lack. Young people and children, you can picture it with me, can't you? There they are. Dusk has come. Darkness has settled. It's now the middle of the night. These bridesmaids, their eyes are shut. The lamps that had been flickering for a while... In five of them, they've gone out. Suddenly, in the stillness of the midnight hour, there's a cry. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And all these attendants wake up with a start. This is it. The moment they've been waiting for. And they all fell asleep. The bridegroom is here, quick. Now it's time. So all these ten young women, they jump up. All ten of them trim their lamps. But half of them have a problem. Half of them have a serious problem. And notice, congregation, they were all invited to this wedding. They all had clothes. They all had lamps. They all had some oil. But now in the moment when it really mattered, half of them, five of them, out of oil. And if you don't have oil, you don't have light. And if you don't have light, you're not ready. Give us some oil. They cry panically to the others. Give us some of your oil. Our lamps have gone out. But the others can give them no oil. Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. So these these wise virgins respond. 
Oh, what horror must have come over these foolish virgins. And this congregation is a picture of what will happen in that great day when all of a sudden, in the twinkling of an eye, history as we know it, as we're living in it right now, will be over. It will be done. The hourglass of history, those last few sands, they will have gone. And it's done. All over. In congregation in that moment, a father can't give his children oil. Children can't give their parents oil. You can't give each other oil. There are three lessons that this brings before us that we need to take very seriously tonight. And the first is this congregation that nothing can take the place of you getting oil yourself. Oil in the Bible, figuratively speaking, is often applied to the Holy Spirit and the salvation that He gives. And indeed, the Holy Spirit is like oil. You can look at Zechariah chapter 4 and 6. You see, the Holy Spirit gives light. It illum- he illumines us. He makes us to see and to know what we otherwise don't know and don't see. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. We cannot do without the Spirit. We cannot do without the grace of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And congregation, you and I must have the Spirit of Christ for ourselves. We can't rest on privileges. We can't rest on our parents' faith or on our spouse's faith. We must have it personally. And so the great question tonight is, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you know the grace of Christ which comes by the Holy Spirit in your life? By faith which looks outside of ourselves? away from our works, away from what we've done, but to the only one who can save Christ Jesus, set forth in the gospel for sinners like you and like me. You don't need to go down into hell in order to bring Christ up from the grave. You don't need yourself to set up a ladder and climb into heaven in order to take Christ, as it were, from heaven. He's near you in the Word, the Word of faith, which we proclaim. He's here in the preaching of the Word for sinners. He's in this book. He comes in the garments of His Word, so close, so near. His arms are outstretched for sinners. There's no excuse why sinners cannot come to Him with all their burdens, with all their sins, with all their misery, with all the guilt of their life, and find in Him rest, salvation full and free. You've heard it often, also in the year that is now almost past, come unto me. He that is a thirst, let him come unto me. The free, the unfettered offer of grace comes to sinners indiscriminately, promiscuously. Sinner, hear God speaking to you. Why would you die? Why meet that last day without oil, without grace, without what you need? Come by milk, come by oil, without money, And without price. But go. Go yourself. Go today. Do not delay. 
Whatever you do, my friend, do not delay. Secondly, the deepest difference between these true groups was this. That the five foolish virgins, they somehow thought they were all set. They imagined that they had done what they needed to. That all would be well. Simply grab an oil vessel. Grab a little bit of oil. Dress yourself. Run. Go with the crowd. They imagined that they were all set. And they weren't prepared for the long haul. They weren't watchful. They weren't prepared for the great delay. For all that would happen. For the hours that would pass. They weren't prepared for what would come over them. This slumber, this sleep, or whatever it is that comes over us as we await the Lord's coming. In congregation, this is a a mark that distinguishes the people of God from those who are simply professing Christians. The people of God, they know down deep in their hearts that apart from the grace of God and from God supplying in their every need, they would fail of the grace of God. They would be lost forever. And that's why every day they need more. Give me more, Lord. More love to Thee, O Christ. More grace from Thee. Grace to pardon. Grace to prepare. Grace to strengthen me. Grace for the journey. They never have enough of the Lord in their lives. They need the Lord's teaching. They need the Lord's guidance. They need the spirit of grace more and more. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. They need Christ. They need Him every day. To them, Christ is not someone that they just, oh, they have and they put Him in in their pocket and they're all set and they don't think any further about Him. No, They long as the thirsty land longs for refreshing rain. They need Christ. More of Christ. More grace to cover their sins. More grace to supply in their need. More grace to walk worthy of the calling wherewith they've been called. Professing Christians. They're so easily all set. When they're challenged, when elders, pastors come, lovingly challenge them. Is it well with your soul? They brush it all away. They've made confession. They come to church. They do this, they do that. But where's this need? Where's this longing? Where's this hunger? Wherever Christ has begun His work in our souls, there's this insatiable desire. Give me Jesus or I die. Naked come to Him for dress. Foul I to the fountain fly. Save me. Wash me. That's their language. That's their heart. Thirdly, and lastly, congregation, the wise virgins, despite their weaknesses, despite their slumber, despite their falling asleep, they had, by grace, prepared for the long haul. Even despite their weaknesses and infirmities and falling asleep, they had extra oil. They had, as one Commentator says they they had eternity 
stamped on their eyeballs. They they knew down deep in their soul that God saves with an eternal salvation. Their eyes were set on eternity. They were pilgrims here, dependent on God's grace. And despite the drowsiness that overcame them and even the sleep that beset them, with this extra oil, they confessed, we need the Lord for however long it takes. They were not like those pilgrims in Pilgrim's Progress that follow for a time. But when hardship comes, they turn around and they seek the comforts of this world. When the end of the day are content with heaven here, so they think. No. The true Christian sets his sights on heaven, on Christ, on the goal. He or she runs the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith. Indeed, there are days in which we cry to the Lord in the midst of our grief and affliction, how long, O Lord, how long? And yet, when he tarries, we wait for him. Because though he tarries, he will not ultimately tarry. He will come. He will come. He will come. Congregation, one day soon. I don't know when. but we're one day closer today than we were yesterday. And if the Lord tarries, tomorrow we'll be one day closer again to that day when the midnight cry will pierce the heavens and the earth and history will be done. And this earth on which we live, this ball on which we exist, will be rolled up as a scroll and there, will be the great white throne. And in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we will all stand there. Every soul that has ever lived. Billions and billions of souls united with their bodies because the graves will be opened and the dust, bodies turned to dust, even dust that was lost, Bodies at the bottom of the sea. Those bodies will rise again and God will bring every soul to every body as we read in our confession. We shall all stand before that throne to receive from the Lord what we have done in our bodies, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Congregation, I wish that in the gospel you would hear, you would hear that midnight cry coming even now, before it is too late, and that you would cry for grace and not rest until you have that grace, until you have Christ, until you have everything that Christ supplies for your naked soul. For your sin-sick soul. Before we cross the threshold into the new year, you would not leave this year 2022 behind without a covering for your never-dying soul. Young people, hear God's word to you today. You don't need to be old. You can't afford to wait till you're old. You don't know if you will make it. And Christ can come at any time. Be ye therefore ready. And this congregation brings us to our third and final point, and that is that Christ's coming shuts some in 
and others out. Though the end of the parable focuses on the foolish virgins, we are told one thing about the wise virgins in verse 10, the middle part, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. These five wise virgins, they received what they had longed for. The door was open to them. Christ, who was their everything, welcomed them. They were now with him, which was far better. Though they had sinned against him, though they had grown sleepy, still, by virtue of his blood and righteousness, they went in to him, the lamb who bought them, received them. But for the grace of God, they would have been lost. But now, they're shut in with Christ. You know, when that door of which we read in our text, when it shut some out, it shut others in. The door was shut. By grace, they were shut in to Christ forever. Revelation 3, verse 12, we read about the people of God, how they will be made pillars in the temple of God, and they shall not go out anymore, because they will be there in the temple of God, they will be in the presence of God, they will be with Him forever. For them, the shut door will be infinitely wonderful news. Dear Christian, tonight... Don't you long for that day when faith will be sight and there will be no more separation ever with your King, with your Lord, with your Savior. No more doubt like you have it today. No more coldness like you have it today. No more sin as we all have it today, then forever with the Lord. Read of that in 1 Thessalonians 4. Then to be forever with Him. Comfort one another with these words. It's the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer, His high priestly prayer, when He said to His Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. Satan will never assault you anymore, dear believer. The world will never more tempt you. Your own flesh that so often got the best of you will be gone. Sorrow will be gone. Sighing will be gone. Sin will forever be gone. Don't you long for that day? Oh, hasten that day, Lord Jesus, when faith shall be signed. The congregation, the text leaves us with the five on the outside. Knocking, Lord, Lord, open unto us. In the parable they had gone to buy, But clearly they couldn't buy. The market was closed. The doors were now shut. Now they're forever outside in the darkness. In the midnight. In eternity. Forever. In darkness. Separated. Separated from those that they they were among. Separated from, from true believers. What a fearful thing that is. The Bible says two will be working in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Two will be in the same household. Think of that. One taken and the other left. Families. Separated. Some saved. Others unsaved. 
Oh, my friend, what a grievous, woeful thing. Forever outside. But the worst of it isn't even the separation as terrible as that is. The worst of it is, my friend, my unconverted friend, to have neglected Christ and to go into eternity without Christ. When Christ was so close, so near, so dear, everything you could ever imagine, and there, gone, done, finished, forever, separated. Nevermore a gospel sermon, nevermore an invitation to come to the wedding supper of the Lamb, nevermore an entreaty, nevermore even a warning, except that all those which you will remember that you heard during your lifetime, they'll be like worms gnawing at your conscience. All those times you hardened your heart, you pushed it away. Satan whispered into your ear, don't think about this now. Now's not the time. Tomorrow, when you're older, and you neglected the day of salvation. And then forever this door separating you, not only from the glories of heaven, but from the Christ who is everything. The great Christ. We're here on the earth to know Christ. Whom to know is life eternal. If until today you don't know Christ, you've missed your reason for being on the earth. Great purpose is that we might know Him, God, and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And He still comes. In these last hours of this year, He comes. He comes in the garments of His Word. He comes so close. He's here under the preaching of His Word. He's here with His blood. And he says, sinner, hide in me, rest in me. I am everything that you could ever long for, ever want, for time and for eternity. I have everything you need. Congregation, as we close this sermon and close our time together in this year, Four brief applications. The first is this. Forever is forever. One thing you and I, believers and unbelievers, we we don't realize enough. And that is, time is so precious. These seconds, these minutes, these days that God gives us, So, so precious. 365 of them are past. Every day, a day of grace. Every day, a day in which the Lord was there. He was a prayer away. Call upon me in the day of trouble, he says. I will deliver thee. Time is so valuable. Going into this next year, shouldn't we hold that? Shouldn't we plead God that he would make us mindful that time is short, that we have one life to live, and the world is just eating up our time, and we're letting it do it. We waste time as if we have an eternity of it, and we don't. Time is short, the Bible says. And friends, if you would take just 10 minutes tonight and think about one thing, forever, forever, forever. Today, you can still change 
you can still be changed. But in eternity, where the tree falls, there it shall lie. Forever is forever. Secondly, be earnest, my friend. Be earnest about life and death and eternity. Don't think that you can simply coast into heaven. No, strive ye to enter in at the straight gate. Eternity is something that when you set your sight on it and you have Christ, there will be a great struggle. Yes, it will be a blessed struggle. It it will be a struggle that you will not want to trade for anything. But don't rest on your lees. Don't take life easy. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Make sure you know the Lord and that you have Christ. And don't simply go into eternity with a vessel and a little bit of oil, a little bit of profession. Thirdly, congregation. Let us be wise. Wise virgins, they're called. Ought not our life, our posture, to be wise? Shouldn't we be praying for God to make us truly wise unto salvation? And wise with relationship to our time. Wise in our families. Wise in our spheres of responsibility. Be wise, ye rulers. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. May the Lord give us that fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And may we, the Lord gives us a new year, or part of it may be a life of wisdom. And finally, congregation. And with this I close. Many stores, many businesses around here have closed for the night and for this year. But the market of free grace is still open. It's still open today. It's still open as I speak to you tonight. It's not yet closed. One day it will be closed. One day the door will be shut. If you're waiting till then, oh, my friend, what will it be to seek for grace when it's too late? Don't wait till then. Shall we not go tonight, all of us, young and old, for a first time, or by renewal, and say, Lord, grace, I need grace, give me grace. Look, Lord, all my empty vessels. Grace is what I need. And the gospel says, come without money. Come without price. Leave your money, your works. Leave all these things that you tried to amass and come with. All these experiences, all this preparation that you tried to make yourself acceptable to God with. Leave it at home. Drop it right now. Come with empty hands. And say, Lord, grace is what I need. Is there grace for a sinner like me? And the Lord says, there is. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. If you're a sinner, there's grace in Christ for someone like you. Well, throw yourself upon Christ in the gospel tonight. And when the midnight cry comes, however that finds you, sleep or awake, we pray by grace that you'll be awake. But that grace, everlasting grace, that will carry you through. 
right into the presence of your Lord and Savior who bought you. To him be all the praise. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Gracious, good doing, and almighty Lord God, dismiss us, we pray thee, into this evening under thy hands of blessing. May it be indeed the true cry of our hearts, give me Jesus, or I die. And may we not rest content until we know him, whom to know is everlasting life. We confess, O Lord, by nature we sleep. And even thy people so often have to confess. And may we feel it even just now, such sleepiness in our souls, such unworthiness in terms of the calling or with we've been called. And yet, Lord, may thy word awaken us. May we be watchful Christians. May Kalamazoo Reformed Church be a church where watchfulness is the word, where many are waiting for Christ's return and speaking of Christ to others. And wilt thou grant this posture, Lord, of readiness, of watchfulness here and throughout this world, that when thou dost return, Lord Jesus, with the clouds, what a day that will be to be shut in to thee, Lord, we scarcely can wait for that day. But make us, Lord, faithful in the here and now. And save the lost, we pray, and do so even tonight. And to thee shall be all the praise. We ask this in the pardon of every sin, in Jesus' name alone. Amen.